Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Oh, off-season content's good. It's a great time. I, I like that we can laugh at uh, all of the the online hate pointed at each other. It is fun. Ridiculous. Maybe for you. That's <laughs> <laughs> not for me. <laughs> Ridiculous, but it is fun. Brad, your strategy is still the best. Maintain your mental health. Stay away. This is a man who has two kids at home who absolutely destroy him personally every time he sees them. So he doesn't need more of that. Yes, Absolutely. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, another fun off-season episode for you. We're pre-recording, so let's hope the world doesn't turn upside down from the time of this recording to the time you hear it. Here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey, uh, international hockey, and some special guests. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are joined by none other than Ken Daniels, uh, who is here to talk to us a little bit about the work that the Jamie Jamie Daniels Foundation does and... uh, how Wings Money on the Board and Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA have supported that. He also has a special announcement for us, which we are excited for you to hear. Uh, Prashanth Iyer is also joining us on that interview, and uh, we're going to talk about the Red Wings free agency and and where they went in the draft and what's coming up and things like that. So uh, a lot of good talk, uh, a lot of good uh, uh, conversation. Always good to have Ken on the show. He was way more relaxed than we were. It's literally sitting out by the pool, which we need to take a, a note. We're working so hard on this studio and he's, yeah, he's literally out by the pool. Living the dream. This is why this is why Ken is the goat and we are just uh, a couple of meatheads talking on a podcast. Uh, after that, there is uh, some Red Wings news in terms of uh, a contract that was signed. One of the last contracts for the Red Wings uh, to sign and the last of the arbitration eligible uh, players, Jake Wallman, signed his deal. Uh, additionally, there's some news from the World Juniors, uh, a little bit more news coming out of Russia, and then some stuff coming out of the uh, rest of the NHL. Drama from Vegas, believe it or not, and players who used to be in Vegas, believe it or not. And then we'll we'll get into overtime. So uh, before we jump into the interview, have you guys been watching the uh, the clips of HBO Hard Knocks, the Lions, uh, the Lions season, the first episode dropped? I only saw it in Hudson singing Billie Jean. That's all you need to see. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, HBO Sports and, NF- and NFL Films are partnering with the Detroit Lions for an unfiltered all-access look at, as we saw, uh, at what it takes to make it in the National Football League with Hard Knocks training camp with the Detroit Lions. The season will chronicle head coach Dan Campbell, noted kneecap eater, uh, entering his second season, leading an intriguing mix of young emerging stars and established vets throughout training camp and the preseason. Hard Knocks will mark the 17th edition of the 18-time sports Emmy-winning series in the most acclaimed serialized sports uh, series on TV. Stream the new season now on HBO Max. As a Lions fan, and I said this on Twitter too, as a Lions fan, I understand I will never have it is genuinely my opinion that I will never have success or happiness. It, it, it's my job as a Lions fan to only know pain. And every year, I work hard to not buy into any hype. And Aiden Hutchinson singing Billie Jean was not on my list of things to turn that around this year. But my God, if I haven't watched that clip 10,000 times. 
How much do you think we'd have to raise for the Jamie Daniels Foundation to get Evan to do that in front of everybody at the window? <laughs> There'd have to be a lot more zeros than what we've currently done. What do you think? Like the equivalent of a- And a lot more drinks, that's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, if you guys, uh, if everyone contributes the zeros, then Evan will contribute the Billy Jean, maybe. We need to, it's been a while since you've recreated the pie dance, man. That's right. Yeah. Okay, folks, uh, we're going to jump into this interview. It's time to talk uh, not only about the amazing fundraising that you've done for through Wings Money and the board, uh, but also to talk Red Wings hockey. So without further ado, we are joined by Ken Daniels and Prashanth Iyer in this interview. Enjoy. Well, this is long overdue, having the entire uh, Wings Money on the board crew. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. We are joined by none other than Ken Daniels, lead announcer of the Detroit Red Wings, and Prashant Iyer, our good friend and uh, partner in crime in running Wings Money on the board. Gentlemen, how are you? Great. Can't complain. Nice to be here. <laughs> Ken, it's uh, it's the off season. We see you're outside. You're enjoying. You're right next to the pool. Uh, it's nice if you'd actually have the, uh, the, the Bally shirt on, you're looking very professional, but I hope you're enjoying your summer. I, I am. And I, I golf today with Trevor Thompson. I haven't golfed as much as I'd like to. We have, uh, so much work going around here. We bought this place last August and, uh, a year later now we're, we're getting there, but <laughs> we're, we're still not there yet, you know, through COVID and construction folks and, you know, everybody's busy and the prices keep going up, but, but we're getting there. So it's been nice. And, uh, when I can golfing and when I'm not, I'm swimming and when it's not raining, it's all good. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that sad though it is that Shea Weber isn't here. He's not here because he <laughs> is golfing, believe it or not. So that is, it. uh, yeah, it's on brand for him. Prashanth, how have you been? How's the little one? Little one is good. He's uh, he's trying to do everything he can to run around now, so it's a lot of uh, energy to keep to keep up with him. But we are we are managing. That's good to hear. So um, I'll open by uh, maybe asking you, Ken. First, uh, we have a lot of new listeners who maybe don't know about uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation and the work that you do. So uh, if you can give just a brief uh, rundown on on what the Jamie Daniels Foundation does uh, for the listeners. Well, we lost Jamie uh, December 7th of 2016, so it's uh, been a while now, and our work continues. We, we started the foundation in 2018 uh, in his memory, and uh, so far we've raised uh, approximately $1.2 million in that time. A large part of that is uh, because of what the Winged Wheel podcast has done as well, and three celebrity roasts, uh, the live one of Mickey Redmond. We hope to do that again at some point, and Scotty Bowman and Brett Hall virtually. We just thought we couldn't do another virtual one this year. We did a, a comedy night in May, which raised some funds. We're opening up a, an adolescent youth center in Troy, Michigan this fall. Uh, regardless of ability to self-pay or insurance, uh, those who need help will be able to get it working with a terrific doctor there, Matt Lacasse, and uh, so many other folks who are on board. So more on that to come. And uh, our next event we're looking at, uh, well, I'm saying this right now, but nothing confirmed yet, but for December 1st. And Ryan, I know we've asked you to be a part of that, and we're planning to do a, a breakfast hot stove. And I guess anyone who's watched Hockey Night in Canada knows what hot stove is. But for those who don't, it's a hockey discussion with some profile guests, including Mickey Redman and uh, some others still to be announced. So that's what we're looking for in December uh, in Detroit, still finalizing a location, but hope to raise some funds there for maybe uh, 200 people. Um, have an enjoyable breakfast with some fun time. So that's our next event. And besides what you guys are doing to raise funds that you've done so well with. 
Well, that's all amazing and, and obviously a lot to come, like you mentioned. Um, maybe let's let's talk about wings money on the board, like Ken just mentioned. Uh, and let's hear from you, Prashanth, because I know we put our heads together last summer to say we're raising a lot of good money for the foundation. How do we take this to the next level? So uh, talk to us a little bit about what wings money on the board is and, and what we've done over the past year or so. Yeah, so Wings Money on the Board was basically the the brainchild of how to, you know, take uh, what is really a tremendous community in the online, um, you know, via Twitter, Reddit, and all these other places, and find a way to channel that energy and uh, to a very good, um, you know, charity in, in, in the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And so what we tried to do was put together a pledge drive where effectively, you know, you can make a pledge at the beginning of the season, midway through the season, say, I'll donate a dollar for every Dylan Larkin point, I'll donate $53 for Cider's first goal, something along those lines. And, and at the end of the season, you know, you were sort of accountable to the pledge that you made at the beginning of the year. You guys did a terrific job collecting all of those pledges and reaching out to everybody as the different pledges were were hit through the course of the season. And then ultimately, um, it culminated in what was a wildly successful year. I think for us, we kind of almost doubled what we were anticipating uh, going into this season uh, funds wise. And so I'm hoping next year we can kind of maintain that momentum and keep it going. I, I think the total, it kept climbing and it kept creeping up. It was our initial goal was 20,000. And then we were like, well, we blew past that. So maybe we reached, we reached 25 and even before we have the flannels out there and the Mickey Redmond winged wheel podcast flannels will be raising money for the foundation as well. Those haven't been sold yet and we've crossed 32,000. So that that's what you've all done. That amazing community that Prashanth uh, referenced. Yeah. And it, it brings, honestly, it warms our hearts. It brings tears to our eyes. And when I send it out to the group and our board, what, what you guys have done and you know, they'll send it out on social media and I do on Instagram and we do on Twitter. Although I'm not on Twitter. Uh, it's too mean of a world for me. But uh, it's uh, it's just wonderful what you guys have done. And it truly means a lot to end the shame and stigma around substance use disorder. And uh, to your point earlier, uh, we've granted more than $400,000 to seven colleges now that we're a part of for recovery programs uh, here in Michigan, including U of M, Central Michigan, Michigan State, et cetera. And uh, it, it, it funds full-time recovery coaches, um, you know, drug-free uh, dorms. Um, so that, that's what we do at the Jamie Daniels Foundation, allowing those a place to recover in a safe environment. One of the ways that uh, we kind of used to tag along Wings Money in the Board to raise money for, for that you know, incredibly important work that Ken just talked about was through Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. And we partnered with our friends at the Detroit Red Wings, who, are, who have been very gracious hosts and partners for those events, uh, where a portion of every ticket sold to that event, which included, you know, a pre-show uh, live recording of the podcast, which Ken uh, joined both times, Mick joined, uh, seating together at the arena, uh, giveaways, swag, things like that, and then a post-event meetup. Uh, every ticket sold, a portion of those proceeds went to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, and on that note, uh, Ken, if you would do the honors of uh, our special announcement for this episode. So the next fabulous Wing Wheel podcast night 
with yours truly and Mickey Redmond. And by the way, he, he does love doing it. What time? And he's, he, he's, he's all in on this. We'll be right before Halloween. So maybe you come with your, your best dressed. I don't know. It is a Saturday night, right? Nine o'clock on a Saturday, Billy Joel. We'll get Mickey to sing maybe uh, Saturday night against the Minnesota Wild, Saturday, October 29th at Little Caesars Arena. It'll be the third right wing wheel podcast night. Is that correct? Third one. That's, right. that's correct. Yeah. Beautiful. Looking forward to it. So that's Saturday, October 29th. Big shout out to uh, the Red Wings for helping uh, with that planning. Lots to come. Tickets should go on sale uh, around the end of August, but stay tuned for that. So we're very, very excited. Um, I think our goal is to crush the 32000 that we raised last season. Uh, let's see how far beyond that we can go and, and the great work we can do that for the Jamie Daniels Foundation and the Children's Foundation. Good stuff. Let's uh, let's talk about the Red Wings uh, off season. You know we're relaxing now, but around July things got a little bit crazy. How surprised were you, Ken, with with all of the moves that Steve Eisenman made and the different shape that the Red Wings team took, especially through free agency? I was surprised that there were that many, but I also knew that you need fans in the building and you need hope and you need competitiveness. So maybe in hindsight and knowing how competitive Steve is, and yes, he preached patience for the rebuild, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that I know that you guys have spoken of of playoff chances and not great this year and not just because of what the Red Wings have or haven't done. It's because of who is in their division and over on the other side in the Metro too. Um, You have to take that into account. So I think having the young kids like Cider and Raymond and, you know, many nights were exposed and we, we saw the 11 goals go in and the 10 and the 9 and the 8 and the 7 and all the rest of them that went in last year. You don't want that again. You don't want that embarrassment. You don't want that culture. So maybe knowing how Steve is, we, we, we shouldn't have been surprised. But the pieces that he added, whether it be Sherratt and Matta to, to beef up a blue line and when you lose Stahl and the Kaiser's done. And, um, I wasn't surprised at the cop signing. I always thought either it would be cop or, or trocek i thought it would be one of the two i wasn't surprised at that one you and now what it is when you've got who whom they have signed now you've got everyone slotted in the right position so i think that matters a lot you're no longer guessing now you're no longer hoping now now you can see it sure you're hoping for success but now you can see why this may lead to some success because everyone's slotted correctly at least for now of all the new guys, who's the one you're most excited to see? Not necessarily what they can do on the ice, because I think we have a good idea of what they are, but who's going to help elevate the young players around them the most? It That's a good question. It may be Cop. Uh, it may be Huso. Uh, in goal. It it might be maybe it 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 not that Nadelkovich needs the drive, but we we saw where the stumble came and, and before the rebound after a, a terrific start last season. So maybe it's that just giving the guys confidence. And if it starts from the net out, maybe with a with a strong goaltending tandem, if Huso can can do what we we think he can do or showing the limited role or what we hope he can do. Um, maybe it gives everybody confidence that there aren't those blowouts and the nights where the youth will prevail. And on some nights that's going to happen and not the best way that maybe goaltending can stem, stem it off for, for that moment, for that game. So I'm most interested to see that. 
as well as cop and and in a 2c hole if that's where he winds up being and and not to the wing and we'll see what happens and the wingers so there's so much that goes into that but but i think for me cop and, and huso so Ken, you've you've called for the Red Wings for a long time and you've seen a lot of players kind of come through the organization and reach their heights. And maybe most Siders, one of the more unique ones that you've seen in Lucas Raymond to a degree, but what would you say are your expectations for for those two star rookies coming into their sophomore seasons? Uh, or what would you say uh, expectations should be for fans? Well, the expectations are always the issue, right? I remember being on with you guys to start last year and you said, what are your expectations? I said, best to have none and see where they go. And I, I, I really didn't until you saw what Cider could do and then you can get excited by that. And then you saw we had no expectations that Raymond would make the team out of camp. And then the injury to Jacob Verana pretty much opened that spot for him and he, he wasn't leaving. So the door opened and, uh, <laughs> you know, he closed it behind him saying, all the rest of you can, can stay where you are. I'm here. So, I don't know. I don't like to put numbers on it. Um, I guess a large part depends whom they're playing with. And maybe Sider takes another step if he's with Sherrod or it winds up being with Matta. I don't know. Let's see what Edmondson does. And let's see if Heronik, who, whom Heronik is with, and if it's Matta and it takes some heat off Sider and Sherrod. Maybe Sider can and play minutes that, that are different minutes and isn't exposed in certain situations that he might be. So, so much goes into that. Again, I, I just let it play out. I don't put them too high. I expect them to continue to grow. Let's put it that way. And I don't see why they wouldn't. So those would be my only expectations. Um, continued, continued growth. So a quick question about the NHL draft here and not what you think it is. Uh, I'm thinking of Mickey Redmond when the Red Wings draft guys like Amadeus Lombardi, Maximilian <laughs> Kilpinen, Tanias yeah. Mathurin. Is this one of the best draft classes for names? Just thinking about how you and Mickey are going to call them. How I'm going to call them and Mick, we're not so sure, but <laughs> you do, yeah, you know, we're waiting for, and I and I was watching the World Juniors uh, just last night, and I saw that Red Savage was wearing number twenty, and right away that hits me, a Redmond with a number twenty on his back, Redmond Savage. So I love that. Um, so even even that name. So yeah, we always go through it when we have the the Bally calls in the morning and, and names phonetically. I didn't think we'd have to go through our own team, uh, but sometimes we do. But that's still a few years down the road, I think, for the most part. So we can wait on that one. But it was fun to see those names for sure. Talking more about the draft class here, and this one's for you, Prashanth. The Red Wings, you know, we we joked a lot about them having a prototypical Red Wings draft where maybe the Marco Casper pick was expected the moment he was there at eighth overall, and then they kind of went not off the board, but not one of the more well-known names with Dylan James at, at number 40. What do you make of the Red Wings draft class and, and some notable parts in there for you, good or bad? I think we talked about it a lot heading into the draft that this was going to be one of the most wide-open drafts for all these teams because a lot of these guys lost their draft minus one years. You had the OHL shut down. You had the uh, the J20 over in Sweden shut down for a period of time. So a lot of guys were just not really as well known heading into this past season. And I think you saw that play out with every team having very dramatically different boards. And that makes it evaluating against a public consensus that much more difficult, um, which is what a lot of us try to do here is, is kind of judge against what public consensus would be. And so the Red Wings draft definitely bucked the, uh, the, the public consensus there, but that's not to say that 
there were pieces there that aren't great. Like a guy that's really been shining is Dmitry Bruchelnikov, um over in the Sochi Cup, just was named the best player in the tournament over there. He was a guy who was on, I think, one public draft board heading in that I saw, um, but an incredibly talented player. So, I mean, he's a guy that really stands out for me. And then, you know, all the way down, Tanias Mathurin, Maximilian Kilpin, and you go all the way down, you can find elements of each of their games that you really, really like. And so I think this is one where you're just going to have to say time is going to tell. You're going to see what it looks like in a couple of years um, as a lot of these guys try to regain some of those developmental years that they, they maybe lost or pieces of the development that didn't, they, they didn't get to necessarily have. Talking about prospects, the uh, second try at the World Junior Championships has started. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, and uh, the Red Wings have nine prospects at that tournament, and that's excluding those who obviously had to turn down the invite. Uh, Brad, walk us through what some of the the main storylines are there and what we're already seeing from Red Wings prospects. So uh, at the time of recording this right now, uh, Canada hasn't officially started their tournament yet. Sweden just finished up their first game and uh, noted goon Theodore Niederbach got kicked out late in the game for a dirty hit. So he's uh, off to a fantastic start. Evanson did get a primary assist, but a um, lot of really interesting storylines for Red Wings prospects. Um, Team Canada notably um, is giving Sebastian Costa the start tonight against Latvia. Um he was the third goalie in the winter, so he wasn't likely going to step on the ice at any point in that tournament. So even if his only start is Latvia and Canada's plan is still to give Grand the tougher matchups, it's still a step in the right direction, despite Kosa, I'd say, underperforming expectations this past year, despite winning the uh, WHL championship, which isn't a small feat. Um, and Donovan Sabrango being elevated to Team Canada's top pair, given the A as one of the leaders on the team, you know, because it's rare for a guy to be a two-year AHL vet and still be eligible for the World Juniors. So obviously, those are going to be two huge storylines. I mean, half a team Sweden is uh, Red Wings prospects, so obviously we'll follow that closely. Edmondson and Wallander had good games today, which is some minor hiccups. Even Yed Bednash on the Czech Republic in a in a kind of wide open tournament could be a guy who can steal some games. You know, he had a really shaky first period in his first start against Slovakia and then locked it down and uh, got the win um, for Czechia. And then, you know, again, Red Savage and Carter Mazer with the States are going to be super interesting to watch because a year ago, I don't think either of those guys were really high on USA Hockey's radars for the World Juniors. They played their way onto the team. And when you look at where they're slotting, Mazer particularly, he's being given a, a healthy role on this team. So, you know, not that these guys need boosts of confidence, but to have a major international tournament in August, right before everybody's going to start reporting to their club teams, AHL teams, junior teams, whatever it might be, this is a really, really good opportunity to really bolster the confidence going into what should be a key year for a lot of these guys. So jumping back to the Red Wings in this upcoming season, can you mention this? Uh, at some point, getting butts in seats has to be a priority. And yeah, there's a business aspect to that. But then also considering the culture of the team, this is a Red Wings team and, and a fan base that came from the Joe, which still feels like yesterday, but was much longer than that now, where you know there's spirit, there's soul, and there was a heart and a lot of championships in that arena. Is there an importance here to kind of build on the momentum from last season and get, even if it's not a playoff winning team, a winning team or a team that hangs in there 
uh, more to play in the LCA to kind of continue to to grow and snowball in a good way for the Red Wings and their trajectory? hundred percent. You you don't want to repeat uh, of what happened last year. And, you know, I think last year there was that malaise and the COVID, and it was it was still a different year, even though COVID seems like so long ago now, and it wasn't, and, and still all all around us in ma- in many aspects. But sure, it's important. And uh, so when you had the bright spots of Cider and Raymond, and then you hope maybe Edvinson, and then who knows, maybe there's a bright spot in, in Kubalik, and it's, it's another one that signed. And yeah, you've got to continue to build. And, and I think, again, let's not put the high expectations on Simon Edvinson, but let's see. I mean, boy, if you could ever have that again, but let's not go there. And we shouldn't expect that. So expect those from from what we know and and be pleasantly surprised from what we don't. And I think that would be a wonderful thing. But you you have to build on it. Uh, People in the seats, build the momentum. Let's get the talk out there. I mean, everyone was talking about Trevor Zegras last year. And I I always wondered, and you guys know, and Red Wing fandom knows how how affable Mo Sider is. If you can promote this guy and what a personality he is and how wonderful he is. Let's keep building on Cider. I I think Cider one day will be a captain. I I can just sense it uh, that most Cider will be a captain of this team someday. <laughs> That's putting out their weight too early, and hopefully Dylan's got uh, ten more years left in him. But at some point, I could see most Cider being a captain of this team. Um, just you know, you can hear it. You know, yeah, and I call him Mo Cider, and I guess many do, and you can call him Moritz or whatever you want. But I love it when the players talk about him, and I know him personally, and when I talk to them about him, and they call him Momo. I love that. And that's a sign of affection. That That's an endearment. And they call him Momo. And that's just, they love that guy in the room. And I can just see the how he, his personality just builds on the rest of the group. So I'm glad you actually brought it up because one question that's been going all around the Red Wings social media world this offseason is with the departure of Danny DeKaiser and Mark Stahl. There's two vacant assistant captain slots on this team right now. If you were in charge, who are the group of guys that you think you would give a long look at giving the A's to? Hmm. Well, Cider would be one uh, for me. And you could say, well, he's so young. So was Steve when he became captain. I mean, times have changed too. And and Dylan wasn't necessarily old, although Steve waited that out and wanted to see. I think Steve saw lots uh, from Moritz Cider. Is it too young to give it to him? What's the leadership group like in that room? You're going to have the veteran guy in there. Might it be Ben Chirot right now um, for one of those guys, uh, considering the deal? And and, I know (laughs) some have criticized it, but whatever. He's here for not a hugely long time, but a long enough time. Uh, if, if Mark Stahl was, then, you know, why, why couldn't Ben Sherratt be one as well? And another in that group, um, well, I'd certainly put Cider and Sherratt in there to begin with. And Andrew Kopp, I think would be another one for me. I, there's going to be a lot of people who would bring up Tyler Bertuzzi's name, but I think a lot of that depends on what happens with his, you know, status on the team. Is there going to be a contract? Um, exactly. You don't know. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of new names who came in and we talked about this before the chemistry on the team will take a while to settle. So I kind of feel like there's going to be the way the landscape settles, maybe 20, 30 games into the season will be different than what people expect. And then I might have a better, better mind, but they'll probably have to pick by then, or they might just do the rotating thing. They might, they, they, they might, they, they could do the rotating thing for sure, but you're right. If something happens with Bertuzzi, I could see that if, uh, you know, 
<laughs> if Tyler isn't, you don't want that um, with with the A as well. I think I think I, I have a tendency to think the the A's are are somewhat overrated publicly. I think it means a lot the guys in the room and Dylan's the leader in the room. If you have got a good leadership group and the guys are stepping up anyway, I don't think it really matters. It's nice for the player for sure. It's good for him, but I don't think it truly is the be all and end all for me. Talking about leadership, maybe on a, a smaller level, uh, the justification for Ben Sherratt was is generally, you know, no matter what you think about the contract, is he's coming in to stabilize that blue line, maybe be a little bit more hard nosed and, and have more of a presence in front of the net where the Red Wings got bullied a lot last year. How do you see the value of bringing in a guy like that, even just to be next to Moritz Sider or make sure Moritz Sider is not the only person on the blue line who's, you know, responsible in playing a solid defensive game? I think that's huge. He plays a solid defensive game, and we saw it with those whom we've played with in the past, including the guy who's not here, Shea Weber. So we've seen that. We've seen that uh, from him, and I love Ben Trot. I met him. I went out for um, a Scott Oaks event when in Winnipeg for for his late son Bruce, and Ben Trot was there, and we spent time with Ben. This is maybe three or four years ago now when uh, he was with the Jets, and what a wonderful guy. He is. So I liked him at the time. And I, and I said, you know, even to the Jets guys at the time, and he was uh, a good enough skater. Uh, they really loved him. They were really sad to see him go. They thought he was a real glue guy when he was in Winnipeg. So I just know from talking to the guys there at that time and then see him move on to Montreal. And I know uh, Jeff Petrie really loves him. So just from, from talking to guys who, who like him, I think his, his value is, is huge. You, you can't, youth doesn't youth doesn't win championships and it's a time and it's a building time and if you're building toward where you need to get to even as pushing for the playoffs this year maybe getting there next year uh you need guys like that to build on so i think his value is is huge we'll take the contract out of it doesn't matter to me i think his value you're here now you're building blocks for for years to come you worry about three years from now or four down the road they're not in a cap situation doesn't matter it's their money what do we care yeah. Yeah. And, and Ken, to your point, I think one thing that a lot of people forget is Sherratt's best years were next to Shea Weber and next to Dustin Bufflin. And you have, you know, a similarly, I shouldn't say similar to Bufflin, but similar offensive minded defenseman in most side that he will likely get to play with a fair bit. And there's a chance you extract a, a lot of on ice value, you know, with Sherratt being next to Sider there. So that might be a tremendous pairing for the Red Wings. Talking about cap space, Prashanth, the uh, the Red Wings are going to land with anywhere from seven to eight million dollars, probably uh, if and when, presumably the Zadina contract gets done. Um, that leaves them with a lot of options. You know, you have your if I were Steve Eisman series, I'm, I'm going to poke you for a little extension here. If you were Steve Eisman, what are you doing with that cap money heading into camp and, and with what you have right now? I think what I'm doing is I'm not doing anything beyond the Zadina contract, a Larkin extension, and then you have to make a decision on what you want to do with Tyler Bertuzzi if you're going to commit to the extension uh, or if you're going to decide to be a, a, a listen to more offers in that regard. But I'm actually going to hold tight on the money because you saw how many teams were cap-strapped uh, this offseason. There's still a number of teams that have a number of players to add and are already five, six million. Over the cap, there's going to be some teams desperate to shed salary. There's going to be teams desperate to open up space at the trade deadline. I think you're best served carrying, you know, seven, eight million in cap space into the offseason or into the trade deadline, I should say, particularly 
given that we know that the the cap's likely only going up a million next year. So you'll probably have the same problem again in the, in the off season. So you're best served to hang on to that uh, space for now, in my opinion. All right. Well, that's look at the Red Wings uh, next season. We took a look at the prospects. Ken, I'd love to talk a little bit about the uh, great work that you and Mickey did uh, towards the end of last season, or, or it was just recently, maybe uh, there was a, a fan poll, um, a community poll conducted by the athletic, I believe it was Sean Shapiro and you and Mick and the team at Bally Sports Detroit were named the best broadcasting, uh, duo, the best broadcasting team, uh, across all NHL local, uh, markets. Uh, what was it like to kind of be recognized and to receive that accolade from the people who are, who are tuning in and listening? It was very nice. I know, I think last year we were top 10 or something like that. And then when, you know, I got up that morning and, and Max had sent me uh, the article ahead of time, I was surprised. Uh, I think we, you know, we're most happy with the Red Wing fans. Obviously they're, they're voting and they're across the country. So it wasn't just here in Detroit. It was across the country and considering where the team is at. And I know every game we go into with our Bally sports group, Obviously, what the Red Wings are, and a lot of those games were uh, ESPN Plus, thankfully, where we got blown out. We didn't have to, but we did do that Pittsburgh game. I won't forget that one. But sometimes, unlike the great, great players like, you know, the James Van Riemsdyks in the old days, the Tim Kerrs, those who could deflect, we have to at times. And you have to deflect a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're hiding anything or we're not honest. You try to sell, if you can't sell what is here necessarily, you also are looking to build the stars of the league. And we can tell, oh, look who's coming in. Isn't that cute? Beautiful, Prashant. Nice. And you got the wing wheel T on. See, this is way more important than us. There you go. But there's a, a future <laughs> yeah, Redding fan who can maybe vote for us down the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Very sweet. And, and I'll say it, it's just Red Wing fans. That's what Florida's most and the whole Bally crew. And it's not just Mickey and me. It's everybody on our broadcast and the stories that we present. And whether it be telling stories about Trevor Zegris or having fun with that or how old Michael Bunting is or, or whatever, or stories we, we tell about game pucks and all the pucks that Marner scored his four-goal game, they were all his. And we told the story on how he got the pucks and they every goal that scored, it's all marked and they saved all the pucks. It's stuff like that. That to me, as a as maybe not as big a geek as Brad is, but as a hockey geek, um, I love the behind the scenes stuff, and that's why I have an affection for the referees and the story when Dean Morton retired and we had his one goal from his game in Calgary, and and you know it, a, a former Red Wing wor working the game with Wes McCauley, another Red Wing draft pick, and Dean liked the fact that he was drafted before Wes, even though Wes was a much better referee than dean stories like that to me it's the human side of the game that when the team is struggling you don't have to talk about all the struggling and the downer bring the good of the game we always get excited when another team scores not at a red wing level but if it's a great goal it's a great goal so mickey and my motto and the bally sports crew motto is never do a disservice to the game if the players are great in the game, let's talk about them. Let's sell the game. Let's get the fans in to see that player we talked about, maybe a game in Arizona, and, and oh, Keller's coming in to play here. Oh, we want to see him. Oh, we heard him, and something tweaked in their mind to want to come see him. That's what it's about. We're glad that Red Wing fans across the country, considering the lack of success of the team of late, 
appreciates what we're doing to try to sell the game and have fun with the game. We, if I go into every game, if I can make Mickey laugh at some point, Lord knows he can make fans laugh on his own. Or even if Mickey says something berating the referees and I just go quiet, Red Wing fandom knows, oh, Ken's gone quiet because, <laughs> because he's trying to get Mickey off topic there. They know. And that's great. They're like family. And we know that and we appreciate that. So that's all encompassing a long-winded answer to your question, how much we appreciate it. It's a group effort and a group effort among the fans. And we appreciate that they appreciate what we're doing. Thank you. Well, Ken, again, better put than I could ever do it, but uh, the efforts and the the immaculate professionalism that you and Mick both bring in your unique ways is, is so appreciated. And through the rebuild, uh, having that, it's crucial. It's crucial to be able to watch those games and and enjoy them, uh, because like you said, they weren't always fun to watch the the Red Wings get walloped. Um, so no. genuinely and, you, you kudos know, and, and thanks for being part of it. Yeah, and Ryan, you know when we get on those calls in the morning and the Red Wings have lost five in a row and they just got their doors blowing off eleven two or whatever it was, and we're on the call for the next game and our it's a it's a group effort. We get on and we're going, what are we going to do tonight? But somehow through the course of the day, we all find stories that we can present. And believe me, sometimes they get to be too many. And I realize that. And sometimes you got to back off. And even some of them we have, we don't get in. But if you have eight and you get in three or four really good ones, I said, oh, that was cool. Or this was cool. Or show something around the building. Or Trevor's got something. That's what we try to do. We're in the entertainment business and we try to entertain. So very quickly before you wrap up here, um, for those not watching on YouTube, uh, they won't have seen, but Prashanth, I believe this is you, uh, the better version of you that's just joined us on screen. Who is this? The new official ma- mascot of the Wingwheel podcast? Yeah, he's got his uh, he's got his mascot shirt on and he's currently slapping the desk as loud as he can. So thank God for the mute button. But Good yeah, <laughs> uh, future, future Mickey and Ken Watcher will be generation number three in my house. So... We are uh, we we will continue to 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 make him, make sure that he can vote and uh, continue to keep you guys at the top of the charts. Okay, we, we have to decide it. whether he's going to shoot right or left, though. <laughs> you know he's a he's going to end up he's a, he's a lefty right now. So do, if I teach him to shoot the puck the right way, I'll shoot righty. Get him. You know what? Hey, hey. You know what? Uh, Shea Weber can attest to this. Um, Evan can have him golf right handed. Seriously. I mean, I'm a lefty and it's just me, it's, it's, you know, and I play hockey lefty. They tried to switch me years and years ago. I've only been really playing for about 10 years. Um, but years ago, he said, if I could make you a right-handed golfer, because, you know, you get that bit of a slap shot in Brad, right? Playing left-handed and try to get that out of the game. If, if he can play righty, if he's a lefty in hockey, uh, that's just my thinking. Go the opposite way would be great. Don't you think, Brad? That makes sense or no? Well, common sense dictates that your strong hand should be at the top of the stick. So whatever he's doing, I'm I'm the inverse of that. I, I go against the grain, but that's conventional thinking. Like you said, Ken, he's a little weirdo. He's a geek, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we'll see how the little man comes along, uh, folks. This has been Ken Daniels and Prashanth Iyer joining myself and Brad Crisco. Like Ken mentioned, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Uh, first one of next season and in part three of the saga will be taking place on Saturday, October 29th. Stay tuned on uh, when tickets open for sale. They go fast as we've seen in the past and it's all for a great cause with the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So Prashant, Ken, thank you both so much for joining us and until next time. Thanks guys. Thank you. Much Absolutely. appreciated.
And that was our interview with Ken Daniels, joined by our good friend Prashant Iyer. Hopefully everyone's excited about the announcement. Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA returns, the first one of the season and the third one uh, of the uh, series. What do you call it? The third time we're, we're running this pack uh, is on October 29th. That's a Saturday and uh, more details to come. I'll try not to get COVID this time. Yeah, do your right best, before. buddy. Yeah. I forgot that that is going to be really, really close to Halloween. Yeah. So not only can Evan sing Billie Jean, he can dress up as Michael Jackson to do it. All right. We'll get you the weighted shoes for the moonwalk and everything. A nice, like, bedazzled black jacket as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fedora. Yeah. I'm on Reddit enough. I could get a fedora. (laughs) (laughs) You need to, your your voice is a little low pitch. Yeah. You're going to need to flip that around. Might need to give him a bit of a kick before the performance. Some helium. (laughs) All right, buddy. No, Ryan, I meant a literal kick. Oh, yeah. Come on. Piece it together, man. <laughs> yeah. Put you in some pain. Winged Wheel Podcast Night, October 29th. Stay tuned for more tickets. Uh, should be uh, up for sale at the end of the month in August. Uh, stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod for more information. Okay. Before we move forward here with the rest of the episode, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. And they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. Plus, when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Wayne Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay, the infinite amount of defensive depth and i mean depth like it's very bottom heavy but depth that the red wings have uh, seems to have been closed out unless any other major moves are coming by way of trade or outside of free agents uh, jake wallman and the red wings avoided arbitration which would have happened uh, we're recording this on thursday so august 11th today uh, they signed uh, jake wallman signed a one-year 1.05 million dollar one-way contract with the with the red wings uh, they initially went into arbitration with the team filing for a $775,000 uh, contract that's two-way that would have seen him being paid $225,000 in the minors, and his ask was a one-way contract at $1.7 million. So his was higher, and the team's was lower than you thought, but that's just kind of how it goes with arbitration filings. Both sides come in extra high and extra low. Um, before we, we talk about the contract, just something to clarify one way versus two way does not affect waiver eligibility. It legitimately only dictates how much the player is paid, what, uh, depending on whether they're in the NHL or AHL. So a one way contract means you get paid the same rate, same salary rate per day, no matter what. 
And a two-way contract means you have a lower salary rate that you're paid when you're not in the NHL, when you're sent down. So thoughts on the contract, Jake Wallman returning once he's healed from his shoulder surgery. Is this the first time in NHL history that a team's number one left defenseman at the end of a season got offered a two-way contract by the team? <sighs> Prashant, get on that. <laughs> Look that up because that that, that's a hysterical bit, but you might be onto something there. <laughs> like it's sad, but it might also be true. Because at the end of the season, he legitimately was Detroit's best option at lefty. Yeah. Um, and not particularly close either, sad as that is. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I, I get how arbitration filings go. You go to the absolute extreme end of your negotiating range because, you know, the, you know, arbiter is probably going to arbitrator, arbiter, which one? 50-50. Arbitrator. Arbitrator. Cool. Um, is just going to end up settling in the middle, but I was surprised that Detroit offered a two-way like that you know it almost sounds too extreme saying it but that almost sounds insulting you know what I, I mean I was also really shocked too like if I'm Jake Wallman that is a bit of a slap in the face no am I crazy um, no that, that was my initial reaction as well because again you know, last season's defense crew was so bad, it made Jake Wallman look way better than he is. And Jake Wallman isn't anything special. He's a legit top six NHL defenseman. He legitimately played at least half decent last year. But again, he's a number five, six guy on a good team at best. So, you know, you're not paying that guy two, three, four million dollars. And I fully understand that. But a two way? He's an NHLer. This guy should. Like he's never going to play in the AHL again unless things go really off the rails for him. So, you know, and it's possible he comes back from the shoulder injury. And if that gives him a lot of issues, who knows? So maybe that's the Red Wings thinking. But yeah, like even if you offered him league minimum on a one way, I don't think anybody's insulted there. I think the way I look at it is is two things. One, point back to what you said, Brad, at the start. Both of them go to either extreme, both parties. Jake Wallman's not a $1.7 million defenseman. He knows that. His agent knows that. The team knows that. But he has to work in his best interest, and that's why he submitted the highest of what is remotely reasonable to the arbitration court. And at the same time, the Red Wings probably knew he'd come in at a million. You can't really go lower than league minimum, which is essentially what they offered. So how do you make that even less valuable? You you slap a two-way tag on it. And that way it, it can be lower. So I think that is them trying to go to the other extreme. And, you know, they have quite a bit of players. They have quite a bit of players ahead of him or in and around the roster spots he'll be fighting for. And he's going to be trying to come back from shoulder surgery. And, 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 you know, it's easy to joke about the fact that he was Detroit's probably best left defense by the time the season finished last year best left defenseman but in reality he is a third pair defenseman so it was surprising i was i was surprised at how far apart they were like i didn't fall out of my chair i didn't write home about it but i don't see the red wing slapping the two-way tag on it as any more egregious than wallman asking for 1.7 if that makes sense i i get where you're coming from but then you just 775 that's what it is right i would love to know yeah, do you need to go even do you need to like 
chip away at the floor even though it's already there like 775 two-way and he's a little punk <laughs> yeah and you lose your parking spot Wait, you gotta whoa. park in general whoa, whoa, whoa. like i know i said at some point during the last season that the bar for a red wings defense spin was subterranean but i didn't think eisman to literally try to go under it i'm wondering if this isn't like a simple like i don't know i, I might just be coming in soft here but i think this is all just like clinical like there must be some kind of formula for this or or what goes into it or once you get into arbitration then there's probably legal advising and uh whoever does the cap for whoever the capologists are for a team they say okay here's a formula for for based on like where the judge comes in on average, what you have to do. I don't know. I, I'm probably just coming in softer. You're right. It, it was pretty surprising. And I guess we disagree on the front of like who was more egregious. I, th- I just think it was the, the same in my mind. But yeah, subterranean bar for defensemen. <laughs> They're raising that to just at ground level this year. Yeah. Yeah. They actually have to to step a little bit now. <laughs> To your point, though, like to to credit both of you and and probably arguing against myself here, is Jake Wallman going to be, you know, a a top pair defenseman for this team? No, of course not, barring something amazing happening. Um, But he is a good puck mover and with more ice time could be one of those guys that pans out as, hey, instead of just being a, "Mm, yeah, he's third pair, he could be a, "Mm, yeah, he's like an everyday third pair or, you know, even slots up and plays number four sometimes or or things like that. So I'm not going to guarantee it, but he is an intriguing player. I would have been sad to see him go. So happy he's locked in. Yeah, it worked out for now. So when he gets back from the shoulder surgery, obviously he's got a lot of competition um, to get back in the lineup. So if, you know, a Robert Hag or a you know, pick Osterley as a good start to the season. He really does have an uphill climb. So he might be out of the lineup by default by the time he gets back, which, you know, would be a shame for him, but obviously not a knock against him. Um, Yeah, so there's no guarantee, I guess. Maybe that's, I think that's probably Eisenman's thing. He's like, hey, we have like 12 defensemen. There's no guarantee you're even getting in the roster at this point. So yeah, yeah. It landed in what I think is fair valuation for him. One year, and if yeah. if he can have a great recovery, take advantage of roster opportunities when inevitable injuries come, then... He doesn't have to rush back either because of the logjam. Like, take your time, be 100%, and get in the get in the lineup when you get a chance. Well, his next contract, he's going to be a UFA. So he's going to want to play as much as he can to to earn that next contract, whether it's with Detroit or elsewhere. Uh, so that's Detroit's depth. There's quite a bit of it. And let's jump over to international play. I know we mentioned Bichelnikov and his, you know, five point night or whatever it was during the Sochi Open, which is the U25s in the KHL playing um, like a exhibition circuit. But at the end of that little tournament there, he was named the top forward of the entire Sochi, op- uh, Sochi Open. I'm not going to get excited. You're already excited. I'm, I'm, I can't. You are, I need to hold my hold my hopes. You are low. you are our uh, Bachelnikov truther on this podcast. You're his biggest champion. So if you're not going to get excited, then Brad and I, I, I already have. Yeah, I already have. I can't do it anymore. He looked good, man. He did look good that entire tournament. Uh, okay, so at the time of recording, again, this is Thursday evening. We have seen some World Junior action, and what a funny game for the Swedes. First of all, the Red Wings Swedes noted goon Theodore Niederbach as he mentioned in the interview Brad got tossed got a five in a game for a, uh, a hit from behind I think it was the right call 
Yeah, I mean, guy turned a little bit, but yeah, he had enough time to let up. Yeah, was it the hit from behind or hit to the head? I can't remember. Hit from behind. Yeah, so international rules are a little bit more, they're less lenient on that front. You're going to see a lot more called than what you'd see in the NHL. Um, general summary of what we saw from the Red Wings Swedes overall. It, there was a really nice setup from Niederbach at one point for a goal, and you know, there's a bad turnover, but there was also some really good uh, puck control and play from Edvinson as well. Yeah, and an Edvinson point shot after a couple deflections led to a goal, so he got on the board there. Um, yeah, the the Swedes were good. Like Niederbach didn't have the greatest game. Uh, Wallander wasn't super noticeable. His defensive play outside of one gaff was pretty good, and obviously Edmondson, uh, despite not having his best game, still looked very good. Um, so no concerns there. <laughs> also takes these guys a little bit to get going. You even see that with Canada when they're team is totally stacked like oh they're just gonna run through everybody in the first couple periods or uh first game is a bit of a gong show and everybody's all over the place like right now in time is not how they're gonna play throughout the tournament this is very much a warm-up it's hockey like competitive hockey in early august is so weird on yeah. every level it's got to be weird for the players too oh yeah this is usually when they're like bulking up for camps and they're playing hockey. Speaking of Canada, Sebastian Kosa, who, you know, we thought, or at least at the, you know, end of last year was looking to be Detroit's third string goalie. And Brad, you mentioned in the interview, has earned himself a spot in the top two and even got the start against Latvia. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be Canada's number one for the tournament. I think Garan's going to get the tougher matchups. I think Kosa just got Latvia because it's Latvia. Um but again, he was the third string goalie in the winter, so it's a step in the right direction despite Kosa having, I think the polite way to put it would be a, an underwhelming season versus what we were expecting from him. Um, but, you know, he went in against Latvia, Latvia and he was all right. Um, probably one goal against that he would want back. Uh, just didn't cover his lateral movement very well and, and stopped before he got to the post and got beat on the short side. It happens. It's not the most egregious goal in the world. Might have actually deflected off of Sabrangov. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't look comfortable in that net though. And that could be a product of being August because he was, his rebound control was poor. His movement in the crease was poor. He had, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. The ultimate, like, Dominic Hashik moment where he just came speed skating out yeah. of the crease <laughs> to, and uh, didn't get it, uh, but he got lucky and the Latvian player fumbled it. So nothing came of it other it, as to what should have been an empty net. He looked like he settled down late in the game and, and started making some pretty clutch saves because to Evan's point, Canada didn't look like Canada. The against defense Latvia. was quite porous. Yeah. Um, Canada's second game though, um, one of their players that Bob McKenzie was raving about at intermission was Donovan Sprengo. He said he said went so far as to say that Donovan Sprengo is Canada's most important defenseman in this tournament because of the defensive role he plays on this team. And of course, you know when he got named an assistant captain, that fits what you know the coaching staff is likely thinking. But yeah, so far so good for those two, I guess. Not going to draw major conclusions. Um, I think coming in and knowing who is ahead of Kosa and knowing the amount of hockey that he's played recently, it, it's just been 
pretty much as it's been for Kosa. I will say something that has come to mind for me, though, is the more I watch him, the more I'm very open to the idea. Like, they have every path, you know, up, down, and sideways for him. And I think without acknowledging that I'm not a goalie expert and and I'm not a pro on how goalies develop, I think if he stayed in the WHL or an equivalent league, that would be okay for him. Lots of raw talent, but the refinement has a long, long way to go. Not a bad thing, but you absolutely need to make sure you nail that development. Otherwise, that is a, a lot of draft capital. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a goalie expert, but I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear what his goalie coach is instructing him on in Edmonton because there are some plain fundamentals to his game that are bad, like just bad. And it's 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 stuff that you would think is very easily corrected and to this point in in his career has not been so you know i know we talked about this a long time ago but if you if they don't think he's ready for the hl but they want their own goalie coaches getting a handle on him it could make a really hard decision even more complicated I also wonder like how much of this is just over scouting. Like we've been talking about COSA for what seems like 10 years and it's been like one in a bit, right? Yeah. And we are the first to preach a lot of times, even more so than defensemen. Goalies develop slowly and at weird paces. So, and this is the first time the Red Wings have spent this kind of draft capital on a goalie really ever, like at least since we've started this podcast. Um and so the the development path is going to look way different. So I I still have quite a bit of patience. I don't disagree with you though, Brad. Like there's stuff where you're like that it needs it's it's stuff that can be corrected. It is absolutely the kind of thing that can be corrected, which is what was talked about when he was drafted. It's not a surprise, but that's what his focus has to be. He I think you you phrased it well off air. Like the amount of miles he travels in his crease right now, it's it's not sustainable, and he's hurting himself by not being. You know, the easiest way to stop a puck is to be in front of it before it gets there. There were multiple times where he was outside of his crease, turned around, looking at his net. Nice net. That should never happen. Even on simple shots, it looked like Kosa was thinking too hard on how to handle them. Like He's like, I know I'm going to make this save. But I, my coach is trying to get me to save it in this way so I can direct it that way. Or after I make the save, I need to recover to this position. Like it just, you know what I mean? Like his mind is so far beyond just make the save. And I don't know if that's overcoaching, undercoaching, his confidence is shaking. I have no clue what's causing it, but it just, he looks uncomfortable and like he's second guessing everything he's doing, even simple wrist shots from the top of the circle. Well, if that's the case, it doesn't get any easier going up levels. I also wonder if going up a level is the way to do it, right? Like make sure that you're playing against competition where the quality is high all the time and you get quickly punished for your mistakes, but you're not losing Stanley Cups when you're you know, messing up a save at the AHL or ECHL or whatever level, right? So some better, some more advanced coaching, you're closer to the Red Wings development system and you just work on those kind of fundamentals that need to be there at the NHL level, then he's hardly, he would hardly be the first talented player to 
kind of overthink something and if he's not in a challenging enough challenging enough environment, that could be the solution. I'm not saying that's necessarily what I'd advocate for. I just said keeping him in the dub might be the answer. But the long and short of it is, like outside of all the speculation, is that there is still work to be done. Yeah, and I had a I have a friend who has a is a goalie. Sorry, and and he mentioned this to me a couple months ago when we were talking about Kosa, and I never brought it up on the podcast, but because I was talking about how Kosa's numbers fell pretty dramatically this year particularly a save percentage and like despite having a better team in Edmonton and um he he was thinking along the lines of well he's like well after the Red Wings drafted him I'm, they surely gave him a list of things they would like to improve on so he probably spent the season focusing on improving on those things and like I was just alluding to not just stopping a puck because Edmonton had their fair share of blowouts. So yeah. he didn't, in those games, if they're up six, one, he's like, I don't give a crap how many goals I let in here. Coach wants me to butterfly this way, move this way, direct rebound like this. So yeah. he's, he's hyper-focusing on it and he might still be doing it. That that's the most optimistic reason I've heard for why he might've dipped in, um, stats this year but tracks with other players again there's no way to know it's like when mo sider was in Mannheim, right like hey we need you to focus on defense f everything else yeah maybe something like that was going on with costa this year again we'll never know and i'm going to repeat that's on blue in the face this is like all speculation but look what happened to mo sider okay you can play offense again oh holy hell you can play offense so you know if if costa's got those warts that they were trying to workout like fixed okay now that it's all muscle memory for you just go save pox maybe his numbers like skyrocket back up i don't know but it would make sense well depending on how canada's tournament goes and how grand does we might not see kosa net again or we might and then if he is uh, between the pipes it'll be all eyes on him let's jump over to some nhl news robin leonard current starting goalie i guess no longer for the vegas golden knights uh hip surgery out for the season that team has been on fire for how many years now? And with and not in like a win streak, like literal flames. Yeah, out yeah. T-Mobile Arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what was all that drama with, with Robin Leonard and the team? And they expected him to play and he didn't want to because he was hurt, et cetera, et cetera. The result is hip surgery and he's out for the season, which is a terrible look. Hard for goalies to come back from hip surgery. Yeah. Yeah, someone who tries to touch their toes, I could imagine how bad that would feel having to get your hip uh, hip worked on. He's he's a pretty polarizing guy and a pretty polarizing player, so I'm not going to say you know the player can do no wrong here, but man, if he's out for the season and there was an expectation for him to play, and now he has to have a surgery that's like devastating to his career, he's been one of the better goalies in the NHL over the last what three or four years. Aside from the fact that the Vegas now has a massive goalie problem. Right after the goalie carousel stopped. Yeah. It's almost like Vegas kind of doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> they're flying by the seat of their pants. And then uh, Pacioretty, who they had to give away for free, tore his Achilles and is out long term, which is a massive blow to Carolina. Like, What's going on? He was training with Mark Pesic. Yeah, yeah, that it's very NFL. Like with with the NFL and training camp, there's always like a dozen players each year where you're like, "Yep, that player's Achilles exploded, and they're not playing this season." And it sucks, but it's just the nature of that sport. But anytime it happens in the NHL, it has just a little bit extra. Ugh. 
God. I think it was an, did they say it was an off ice injury or was that, was that someone else? It, I think it was, yeah, an off ice injury. But I mean, that's what happened to Pesic too, was training. Yeah, just train off that's ice. Why, that's why I don't go to the gym. <laughs> you don't, why risk it? You don't go to the gym. Why because, risk it? Yeah. You're just, your body's a temple and that's why you don't go that's to the right. gym. That's right. I'm a true athlete. I play golf and that's it. And I mean, temples are filled with like ghouls and ghosts and monsters and Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, tough news for both of them. But the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have to, Thompson's going to either play 70 games or they're going to have to figure something else out. Again, that guy's going to have a ton of pressure laid on him and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I don't even. I can't even think of a free agent goalie that would be even worth investigating as like an absolute backup plan, like insurance policy. Oh, they're going to just have to trade for one of Detroit's two starting What's goalies. What's Tim now. Thomas doing? <laughs> Please. Yeah. He's got to be like, how old is he? Like 45 now? He's, oh, at he least. came back to the NHL when he was 45. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to jump over to overtime here. Uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club and help support the show, uh, for all of you who've been joining during the off season, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, uh, to our patrons for, um, giving us a chance to have this little break during the slowdown. It allows us to do things like recharge our batteries, work on some stuff on the back end for the pod and make sure the content we're bringing you leading up to next season is even better but uh prepare yourselves the midweek stuff is coming so the patreon exclusive midweek episodes are going to come uh we owe you a couple at this point so stay tuned all right let's start with a question here from sean trainer who's a new patron sean welcome to the dub dub club says love what you guys do keep it up got another noob hockey question for you how do the players know when to change shifts? When I watch the game, it seems as though players just know when to go on or off the ice. What goes into that process? I assume the coach is yelling line one, go, line two, go, or something to that effect. But with how loud, fast, and chaotic the game can become, it seems like it would be difficult to hear those calls. Never played, so I would love the insight. Uh, first uh, indicator that it's time to change is when their legs start to feel like Evans after doing even moderate amounts of walking. <laughs> It's called stairs. <laughs> um, no. So it's actually um, fascinating when you get into the the nuance of it. And I won't, for the sake of time, go like super, super detailed here. But within a team's systems and structures, the coach has, you know, here's where you go. Here's when you go. If the puck's here, you four change. Here's where I want you keeping pressure, which is why you'll see like at times, say the Red Wings top line is out. You'll see Larkin and Raymond run off the ice, and then Bertuzzi will still be kind of floating in the offensive zone between the two defensemen with the pucks, just to kind of we'll call it keep them honest, so that they can't just spring for a, a like a home free on the far side. Um, and then once the other rest of the Red Wings regroup, Bertuzzi goes comes out. So there's times and places where coaches instruct them to go. Um, and then on the bench, the dynamics really simple. It always runs through the center. Um, so you won't say line one, line two, you'll call by the center. So, you know, Larkin's line, for example, um, Lalonde will just be standing behind the bench, you know, Larks go. And then Raymond and Bert hear Larkin's name. They know they're up. And then what the line does is they all yell who they're taking so that they never miss an assignment. Now, sometimes the center always goes first. Not every team does that. They'll say it 900 times a year. Raymond will go, I got, I got Verana. Bert will be like, you know, I got whoever. And they will repeat it to each other 
every time, every single time they ever jump on the ice. So there's never any miscommunication because when you get sloppy with it, that's how too many men on the ice penalties work out. Because if you're another line and you know, you're talking about something, a player or whatever, and then the coach calls the next line and you didn't hear them, but then you hear one of the other centers going, I got so-and-so, you know, your line's not up because they're calling players. So it's like super intricate for something that seems so simple. Uh, Aaron Cornell, also another new patron. Aaron, welcome and thank you for the support. Says, uh, question uh, about the importance of a hockey captain. Outside of being a leader and doing press conferences, what other general responsibilities do captains have? Also, does it seem like hockey captains carry more responsibilities than other sports? I think the captains in all the sports generally have the same responsibility. One, um, you know, there's a team away from management and the coaching staff and, you know, there'll be team group chats. There's, you know, in the room, a lot of chatter and it's the captain's job to keep the room from getting separated, pissed off, you know, to keep order. And then the other big job for the captain is acting as the in-between between the players and the coaching staff, because the coaches don't want a fourth line guy running into the office. Why the hell aren't you playing me more every damn day? Yeah. But if they talk to the captain and, you know, they have it out and then whenever the captain has this meeting with the coach, he can go over, okay, he, this guy's saying this, this guy's saying this, the room's feeling this. And then, you know, the captain and the coach hash it out and come to solutions on some. Of the, and sometimes the solution is, yeah, tell that guy to stuff it. But then that's Larkin who's relaying the message a little more softly. Yeah. End of the Babcock era. Henrik Zetterberg essentially was, and he took a lot of heat from Babcock and he was the filter, yeah. you know, not that that stopped Babcock from doing what he did to Franzen and some other players, but, uh, Zetterberg essentially sacrificed his relationship with Babcock because he was advocating for his teammates and, and trying to soften, <laughs> to put it lightly, what Babcock, how Babcock was coaching. So that would, that's, I think an extreme example of it, but it, it yeah. points to what Brad was just. Yeah. Saying. It's not that the coach will never have contact with the rest of the locker room. A good coach will have contact constantly with all players, but there's not a coach in the world who has time to do individual meetings with every player every day, which is where the captain helps to, you know, filter the stuff that's going on. Uh, question here from Shatna says, is there a trade package that would make sense with Vegas now that we know Leonard will be out all year? You know, that, that jumped to my mind. Detroit has two startable goalies in Nedeljkovic and Huso. Um, what I will say to that is Vegas would have to, it, it couldn't just be a simple package of like something that would meet equal value in terms of, of picks and middle prospects because Detroit worked pretty hard to land uh, in a situation where they have two good goalies and they are not a tanking team anymore. So you really shouldn't be giving away one of your 1A or 1B unless it's like an offer you can't refuse from Vegas. Does that make sense? Yeah, the Red Wings are in a position right now where they have two very talented maybes. The strategy right now is we just need one of them to hit. And when you have two of them, the odds double. So if you go back down to just one, if they struggle, you're you know, back to square one. I don't know. Vegas has mortgaged a lot of futures for the team they have now. So I don't really know that they have what Detroit would want. They have their next three first round picks, but I don't know if Vegas has given that up. They, they get quite a bit of cap space now through LTIR. So they have options. They just might not be sexy options. Nadelkovich is a UFA in a year. Send him as a sleeper agent. Go in there. 
tank them, and we have their unprotected first. Yeah. Nadelkovich comes back the following offseason with Connor Bedard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, Andrew Pillen says, hey, guys, is Zadina still uh, being unsigned, worrying at all, or is he just negotiating with Eisenman? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Oh, they might not even have started negotiating yet. Eisenman had free agency to deal with, Wallman, a couple other things. I would, I would disagree, and I would say they, they probably have talked, but it's not concerning. I'm a little concerned. Mm-mm. I, I like he's it, it, team control, and it's not like Zadina has put up monstrous numbers where he's going to burn Detroit on a contract. But I don't know. I'm concerned from the space of I really think Zadina can be way more successful than he has been. I might be naive for hanging on to that, but I'm not ready to kind of let go of that. But if this is a tenuous contract negotiation and he's already kind of on the fringe with the team in terms of his standing and there's a lot of roster players in front of him, I can't, it's not my money. I'm not the one being paid. So easy for me to say, but I, I would like to see this done quickly because Zadina needs to focus on having the best year of his career or else this season. No. I mean, we knew going into this offseason, Zadina was going to be one of the more complicated contracts because of everything like you just said. So I don't think anybody expected that contract to get done quickly. So, you know, going into the offseason, you could have almost bet he'd be the last contract signed. And here we are. Uh, question here from the patented Pesic Piss Missile says, and it's on the Zadina uh, topic, says, question about Zadina. Portions of the hockey world seem to label him as a bust, even though he's still top 10 in his draft class for most counting stats. Am I missing something here? Was that draft class just not that good? Um, again, I talked about it last episode. Take anything the national media says about bottom six forwards with a huge grain of salt because there are not many national writers who are actually diving into the Red Wings beyond just counting stats. The additional layer there is there was a firm amount of excitement when Detroit drafted Sedina from us included and especially even um, because he was a player that was projected to go third or fourth where very late in the game uh, caught Kanyemi rose astronomically probably not the best move by Montreal to draft him um, and Brady Kachuk moved up the board and that was that turned out to be good I have and Barrett Hayton and Barrett Hayton that's right so Zadina fell you know we were we weren't really expecting Zadina we had one or two episodes before that draft I remember where we said here's a confluence of events that could lead to us getting Zadina wouldn't that be amazing and it just shook out that way so Zadina was six overall, but he was being treated in terms of expectations as like a third overall. And that was a, that was a miss by, by us and a lot of the scouting community, of course. So aside from what Brad said, which I think is the main piece here, because they don't know the nuance behind Zadina, he also has been a letdown by not only his draft, uh, where he was drafted at that position, but the measure of where he should have been prior. Like he hasn't been filling nets, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, if you showed a national writer a clip of his game and every time he got within 10 feet of the net, you just cut the clip, they'd say he's doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades and uh, start times for podcasts. No one was late today. I don't know why I took a shot at you. He didn't do anything. It wasn't me. I was here first. You were here. Well, Brad was right. I would have been here first had I, uh, you know, parked closer. (laughs) (laughs) Early bird gets the worm. Yeah, I was the early bird there, champ. You drove past me Last I was time walking I, to the house. And as well as Ryan knows, I was the first person here. Uh, 
All right, folks, uh, we're going to get into recording our Patreon exclusive overtime. Uh, there's going to be a lot of movement over the next couple of weeks. Patrons, stay tuned for some bonus content coming. Uh, it's on our minds. We're just uh, navigating around vacations and whatnot right Still now. Still waiting for you to play me in a golf round and we can put it on YouTube or something. We'll do it as soon as you do Billie Jean. Here's how about that? No, well then it's never happening. I'll remain. I'll tell you what, you do, Billy Jean. We'll do that round and all golf with your clubs left-handed. You're not touching my golf <laughs> clubs, <laughs> folks. Give me your old set. I don't care. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, all of our patrons, new and old, we really, really appreciate you. All of our listeners, uh, those of you who have been leaving reviews for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get the show, it, it makes a big difference. Um, and the sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, thank you for that campaign. And uh, all of our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69 Crying Ryan Hansman and Islam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., who's a brand new name level sponsor. Chris, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert. Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna spelled with two N's, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Nighttime Sniffing, Sneezing, Coughing, Robert Hagging, Stuffy Head Fever So You Can Rest Medicine, <laughs> Zachary Rogers, Ryan Hanna, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, uh, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion. Ben Barron, Bertuzzi and Heronic Trade Proposal number 69, Brian Vasha, Car- Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evans Adult Film Star, Alter Ego, Kevin Lovesaber, Evans Bingo Card, <laughs> Griffey Boy, <laughs> James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Madison Bowie. Wow, what a return for Madison Bowie. Matt S., Max Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, the prophesied Lobsinger Hot Tub episode, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevovar. That's all. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Evan, between Billy Jean and a, a Hot Tub episode, you you are in debt to our patrons. Apparently, yeah. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.